and we want Mother's Day, and we want to celebrate that. My questions are super dark today, so I just want to apologize up front. Sorry, moms, if you came to visit us for the first time. But the first question is, um, who are the people you are having trouble forgiving? And if you had a hate list, who would be on it? And so, actually, um, instead of going to small groups, we're just going to take our postcards. We have some pens. If you need a pen, you can ask someone around you. And if you need to write in code, if you need to make, like, a numeric system that correlates with the alphabet, if you need to write in Elvish, that's totally okay. But I want us just to think about... Um, people were having trouble forgiving. And maybe there are some people on your hate list that you just think about them and you, you just get boiled up. Like you just get angry when you think of them. And go ahead and uh, make, um, make some marks that will jog your memory. It could be symbols, right? I know some of you guys will be really uncomfortable writing the name of the person next to you. So just their initials are fine. Uh, but again, I want us to spend some time doing this, and it will really help us as we look into God's word this morning. This card will be between you and the Lord, so don't worry about it, uh, but make sure you hide it from the people around you. I wanted to go through our last sermon, and we're talking about um, what it looks like, Jesus' vision for the church. What is, does he value? What's important to him? And um, last Sunday, we talked about confronting our brother or sister that sins against us. And again, our reaction and kind of what's natural to most of us is that when we're offended and we're sinned against, we become very passive. And we expect the person who sinned against us, who offended us, to be active, to be the one who owns a lot of these things, right? They're the one, if they hurt me, that should come to me, that should apologize, that should try to reconcile the relationship. They need to initiate and do all of these things. But instead, Jesus, as he's laying out the way that his church and his people is to deal with being hurt, he's asking us, he's commanding us to go and to stand in front of our brother or sister who hurt us and to tell them their sin in a humble and, and gentle but truthful way with the heart to gain a relationship with them again. Again, something that our church really struggled with for a long time. And then if that doesn't happen, if they're not willing to listen, our, our responsibility doesn't end. We are then to go and bring someone into a conversation who might be able to offer more wisdom and a more objective voice. Again, it's not supposed to be your best friend who's always agreeing with you, right? We're trying to invite in our small group leader, or our life stage pastor, or eventually an elder of the church to give um, wisdom and, and build reconciliation into com that conversation. And what I'm really excited about is that we're doing this. When I think about the leadership of our church and some of our ministry leaders, over the last six months, I and many of them have had hard conversations, have initiated uh, sitting in front of each other and putting our hurts on the table and having really open conversation. And then last week, I was so encouraged to hear and see those conversations take place in our community. That day, uh, last Sunday, but also in the course of the week, the Holy Spirit has been working in our hearts to, when we are the one offended, to go and pick up the phone, 
to set up a coffee date, to sit in front of someone. And so as, a pa- as your pastor, I'm so grateful for the way that God's moved in your heart and the resolve that you've, you've had to do this. But I know that there's more conversations to be had. I know that there's more of you who are um, not willing to do that. And I just encourage you to submit to the word of God and to the prompting of the spirit, that if someone's done something that's hurt you, even if it's years ago, that you would take on that responsibility to talk to them. But I also wonder if some of us are asking, but if, what if they keep sinning uh, again and, and keep hurting me even after I've talked to them about it? How many times do I need to forgive them? And what a great question, because it perfectly segues into our next section. Uh, Peter asked Jesus the same question right after that discourse. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Seven times is a lot of times, right? Can you imagine having seven of those conversations where you go up to someone, you're like, oh, you really hurt me. And then they say, dude, I'm really sorry. I'll try to do better. And then they do the same thing. And then you're like, ah, and then you're like, okay, I don't obey Jesus. So you go up to them again and you say, hey, you hurt me. And then they're like, I'm really sorry. I'm going to try to change. And then they do it again. And then you're like, ah, and then you go up to them again. That's only three times and you're already bored, right? Imagine doing that seven times. That's a lot of times. And then Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seven times, 70 times, right? Um, and, or 77 times. And I, I think about what Jesus is saying is there's no limit. There's no limit to how many times you're supposed to forgive your brother or sister. It's supposed to be innumerable. And that is a heavy command. We can, we can say we've read this already and we know it, but what does it mean to carry the weight of being able to forgive someone over and over again? And, and many times that's required, especially when we think about family, that we are to forgive over and over again without limit. But why? Why does anyone deserve that kind of forgiveness in our lives? I remember uh, when you look at your pieces of paper and you have your hate list, I have, I have mine as well. Most of them I can't put in front of you because you know them. So I go all the way back to elementary school. And, um, oh, sorry. And um, I remember I shared this, sermon, or this illustration actually two years ago. There was this guy named Michael, and I hated Michael, okay? And he was a bully to me, not just for a few months, but first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, it was like he followed me around to bully me. And I always had trouble making friends at school. My mom knew this. So one of her solutions was to give me like a big bag of candy, right? So I walked to school with a lot of candy. And I would just, she was like, just hand out candy and people will be your friend. I'm like, that sounds reasonable. So I came to school with a big bag of candy. And I started handing them out. And everyone was my friend until they finished the candy. And then they were done being my friend. So it was a very limited amount of time. And one of the reasons was because there was this guy named Michael who would round people up to bully me. And I, there was a lot to make fun of. I had like a bowl, bowl haircut. You know, I had no fashion. I wore the same clothes over and over again. And, um, and I didn't know any name brands. So I was just, 
I was an easy target. I had struggled a lot in school. So one of the games that they would play for recess, besides tetherball and handball, was like, was like chasing me around the schoolyard. And then they would circle up when they kind of cornered me. And then one person would kneel behind me like this while another person pushed me. So I would like fall harder than a normal fall, you know? And that was like how some of the recesses were spent. And other times, they would just isolate me. And so I would want to play with them. I'm an extrovert, but they would just not let me play. But then one day, I remember in like third grade, I met this kid. His name was Aaron. And he wanted to be my friend. And it was the best thing ever. And I, I don't think I've ever been able to identify a friend from first to fourth grade since uh, Michael in elementary school. But this guy named Aaron, he wanted to be my friend. And I remember finally looking forward to recess and lunch, finally having kind of this anchor to, hang, to kind of latch onto and hang out with. And I remember we threw the football around. We would stand in line for tetherball and play tetherball. And I just, I was so thankful for him. But um, I got sick a lot. So maybe we started our friendship. We went a week or two. And then I got sick. And sometimes I would miss weeks of school. Um, just at home in bed, and I finally recovered, and I went back to school, and I went to look for Aaron, but he wouldn't play with me anymore, and I was like, why? We had such a good time, and he said, it's because Michael said, if I play with you, none of the other kids will play with me, so I can't play with you anymore. I remember him running off um, to that other group, and I was alone again, and there was just such deep uh, pain when I thought, about Michael. He never apologized. I finally went to a private school, and a lot of it was because of the bullying. My mom just wanted to uh, move me away from that. And for years, I carried just deep resentment for Michael. I remember I would meet a guy named Michael and like not like him. It's a totally different person. But like if your name was Michael, I'd be like, I just don't like you. you we can't be friends. Do you, you want to change your name? No? Okay, we just can't be friends. And I know that there's people in your life that are Michaels. You know, maybe there's a Michael in this room for you right now. Maybe a Michael in your family where when you think of them, you become fixated on them and they take over. And bitterness and anger and hatred consumes you and you have all these alternate ways of like, of like, I literally spent years fantasizing being in elementary school again, but maybe in a junior high body and just like pumbling Michael, like terrible fantasies of like destroying him. But you probably have had some pretty violent fantasies against these people in your life as well. What would, what would, why would I forgive Michael? Like what reason is there to forgive him of the evil he's done to me? And when you think about uh, different f philosophers, I think about Nietzsche. And he had this kind of, he wrote this essay about a visceral reaction that humanity, the basis of humanity has against someone who's hurt them. That there's this kind of like um, basic instinct where we want to hurt the person who's hurt us. And his uh, illustration of this is that when someone in their time owed uh, if someone owed you a, um, a pound of gold and they couldn't pay you back, you would take a pound of flesh. That was just like, but th that kind of went all the way back to the beginning of society 
when vengeance was just kind of a core part of who we are. We watch movies about it. I smiled at Kill Bill, you know, and it was gruesome because I wanted revenge for her. There's just this innate thing about us. And even Nietzsche, in, in this really kind of early stages of thinking about vengeance, of thinking about debt, he said, maybe there could be a Superman, kind of one of the first ways we've coined that phrase, who has the free will to choose not to collect debt, not to take revenge, to forgive. It was this like hypothetical man who could go in two directions instead of only being pulled into one. But we feel that and we think about why would I forgive somebody? And then Jesus tells us why. Uh-oh. Do we have um, the rest of my passage? Oh, here we go. Yes. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will, repay, I will pay everything back, which is pretty much a lie. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Why well, I say it's a lie? Because 10,000 talents is an enormous amount, right? If you translate it into current, into current concepts, it, it would be 20 years worth of wages. That's how they paid people. A denarius is one day's worth of wage, and then all of kind of the denominations above it would be like a month's worth of wage or um, a year's worth of wage. So this is 20 years worth of wages is how... Uh, is what this man owed the king. It was supposed to be like a trillion dollars conceptually, un completely unpayable. And yet, as he's begging for mercy, the king absolves him of this debt. And then what happens? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. So a denarii is one day's worth of wages. So this is probably 20 weeks worth of wages, which is still a very significant amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow, servants, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had mercy on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What a severe warning. So I think about um, this story, and I think we can come to the second part of the story and feel the vengeance and anger that one servant had to another who couldn't pay back the debt. But Jesus gives this illustration, and he says, don't just look at the servant. 
Don't just look at the Michaels in your life, but first consider what God's done for you. And then allow Michael and his hurt and repayment to um, be in the context of your repayment to the Lord. So let me give you a simple example. I remember the first credit card that I had. I just abused it. I thought it was free money. I don't know if you've ever, they like tricked me. I was walking in, uh, at UCI. Someone's like, here's $500 on a card. I was like, okay. And I just like bought all kinds of things I didn't need. And I, I knew I had to pay it back, but I didn't know how it worked. And I remember not being able to pay back my credit card. And I was like really scared. And, and every month they would just ding me with this overdraft uh, charge or non-payment charge. And one day finally I told my parents, and they were willing to pay back the card for me after giving me a really long lecture and being kind of mad, and, um, which makes sense. But imagine them paying my credit card and then my sister, let's say she borrowed like $15 from me, right? And I'm like, you gotta give me that $15 back. And she's like, I don't have $15. I'm like, you better give it back to me right now. I'm, I'm older than her, so I could yell at her and be kind of abusive. And um, she's like, I don't have $50. And then she starts crying, right? I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sell your clothes till I get all your money back. What's your favorite clothes item? You know, she's like, I've saved up, you know, for this dress. I'm like, give me that dress, you know? I just do a yard sale of her clothes. Think about how my parents would feel after paying, like, a lot of money back for me. And then the next, like, as they... As they send me away with my debt paid, four and a half minutes later, I'm selling off my sister's clothes. And that's what Jesus is saying about our debt, right? That we, maybe we look at one part of this card and we see the wrongs done to us. We see the evil inflicted in our lives. And I don't want to belittle that. Some of us have been hurt in really profound ways. And we look at this card and we're like, I have no idea why I would ever release or let this person go. I have no idea why I would forgive them of the debt that they owe me. But then Jesus says, rip your eyes off of this person, off of Michael, and put your eyes on me. Did, did you owe more than they did? And when I think of the people who have hurt me this year, last year, in elementary school, and then I think about the ways that I've hurt others and hurt God, when I think about my worst moments and worst sins, what they've done honestly pales in comparison to the evil I've done in my life. And, and then I think about what if God took account of all of my sins, of every thought, of every moment, the sins that I forgot about, the sins that I did because my intentions were wrong, the lies that I told, what if he took into account every single moment of my life? How massive would this debt be? How crushing would it be to continually be washed over by that guilt and shame? And then I look at the frequency Michael offended me, maybe, maybe 100 times compared to 100,000. So the, the degree of my sin and the frequency of my sin makes Michael's sin against me pale in comparison. But then I think about the repayment of my sin, right? When I look at Michael, I think about, man, I, if I were to pay his debt, it's like just absorbing the pain that he caused me and extending forgiveness. 
absorbing the times that he bullied me, that he took friends away, or one friend away, uh, which is more, um, or pushed me around, and forgiving him. But then how does Jesus absorb our sin? He absorbs the lashes that rip through his back. He absorbs the nails that pierces his hands and his feet. He absorbs the insults and the accusations. And it says that he was like a lamb before his, the, his, the shearers is silent. So Jesus was silent before his accusers. Why? Because he's taking on our accusations. And then a God who knew no sin becomes sin. That he experiences separation from God. As he cries, Appa, Appa, why have you forsaken me? He absorbs separation from God. And, and I don't do any of that for Michael. I have not bled for him. I have not died for him. I have not been separated from God from him. God does a million, to a million degrees, he takes my sin in ways that I'll never be able to take Michael's sin against me. He forgives me in much more radical ways than I've ever forgiven another person in my life. And so Jesus, when he's in this parable, he's saying that if you really understand God's forgiveness to you, how much you've messed up, to what extent and how frequently, and the way that he paid for you, that it's, it even dulls this parable, right? The parable, the king's just like, okay, your debts are forgiven. Jesus dies on the cross. That if we've really sat with the gospel and felt the weight of it and received it to forgive us of our sins, Jesus is saying that one of the most defining markers of a believer is that you will extend that forgiveness to others. And if you're not forgiving others, right, in how the parable concludes, it's saying that you probably haven't really understood God's forgiveness over you. It's, it's this hard check on our salvation. It's this hard check on whether we've really received the gospel. That it's a tell to whether we're really his child. So he's not saying that because there's ideas of hell. There's ideas of separation from God here, right? This torture and jailers and, and being isolated and being forever in debt. So he's not saying this of true Christians, but he is talking to the very disciples in front of him. All of these professing Christians. And he's, and he's having them check their heart. And I would be, it would be a disservice for us this morning to not check our heart, to not say, man, if I'm not forgiving people, if, if in, as a lifestyle I just hold grudges, I'm defined by my bitterness. I have a laundry list of, of people I hate. Then we should ask, have I really sat at the foot of the cross and been humbled by it? Have I really sat with the depravity of my sin and thoughts and the weight of the worst that I've done and seen God clear the entirety of my debt? Because doing this means that this has been done. And not doing this means that we probably really haven't understood this either. 
that's probably the first and easiest way in which I've forgiven people in this room, my family, and my friends. I just stop, and I'm like, wow, I've messed up worse. That's like the easiest thing you can do. If you're struggling with forgiveness, just be like, well, I've done some really bad things too, some really bad things, and God forgave me. That's like baseline. Jesus forgave me of worse sins. Jesus forgave me more frequently. And Jesus gave, forgave me with a greater payment of the cross. After I've done that, I, re, I make a decision. Again, this is, by the way, forgiveness is the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. There's nothing harder. But also forgiveness, when you forgive, you're most like God. And so I'm not saying, I know it feels like, oh, five points, I'm done, right? Like, all done. Dude, Mike, forgiving Michael took 10 years. Like, really easily being able to say I forgive him took 10 years. And other people have taken years as well. There's people I'm still in the process of forgiving. So I just want to recognize how dang hard this is. And yet, when we look at Jesus... We, and we hear his command to us, I would challenge you to make a decision to forgive because you're never going to feel like it. But you could decide over your feelings. And it is an act of the will to say, God, I choose to forgive this person. And to know that it's a process. Every time I heard a sermon on forgiveness for 10 years, I'm like, God, I choose to forgive Michael. <laughs> It's, it was a hundred, maybe a thousand confessions of forgiveness until I've been able to arrive. And then forgiveness doesn't depend on the other person. Michael, for many years, like, I never talked to him. But we get to forgive someone independent of them. And we know we forgive them when we can bless them. That's a, a great marker of forgiveness. And that's why Jesus says to bless your enemies. Because it marks our completion of this forgiveness process. You know, when I think about Michael, um, I got this, like, really strange text uh, two years ago, um, almost to the day. And it says, hi, is this Pastor Wilson Wang? And I said, yep. And he said, Pastor Wilson, did you grow up in Diamond Bar and attend Evergreen Elementary School? If you did, then I owe you apology. Yeah, why? Who is this? My name is Michael. We were friends in elementary school. Then I bullied you. I wanted to apologize. I remember that you were a Christian and that you loved Christ as a kid. I was so happy to hear that you, that you are a pastor. When I searched your name on Google, I was not a Christian and didn't know Christ and his word. But I have known, um, then, I, when I, then I searched your name on Google. Um, I was not a Christian and didn't know Christ and his word, but I had known it for a while now. It, it's good to have found you. Hopefully you can forgive me. And I wrote, wow, thanks for connecting with me, man. I do forgive you, and I appreciate how you've reached out to me. Crazy how many years it's been. Hope you're doing well. Are you still in L.A.? And he shared his testimony with me. I got to pray for him as his dad was passing um, recently as well. And it's been amazing to see an enemy become a brother. 
And that's what the gospel does. It allows us who were isolated and um, away from the Lord to find him, right? Only through forgiveness can we become sons and daughters of Christ. And only through forgiveness can we bring other people into familyness and reconciliation again. You know, when I think about Mother's Day, I remember as a kid when I was really small, like maybe four years old or younger, my mom sent me to the corner because, you know, I did something wrong. And I said this in the most innocent way. I'm like, man, mom, I wish I was perfect like you. And then she's like, okay, you're done with time out. <laughs> but when you're a kid, you just think your parents are perfect, right? But then you become an adolescent and then a young adult and you look at your parent and you're like, dude, why'd you mess me up so bad? All of us go through that. And, and, and you see like the flaws of your parents and they were but they tried their best and then we and then you have kids and you're like I did not know that my parents had to forgive me a bazillion times <laughs> then I had to forgive them in therapy because as like a two and a half year old my son said the worst things right to me and my wife um like even today he's like I don't want mom happy mother's day like good morning I don't want you you know like he just says terrible things but he's only two and a half I can't wait till he's like 15 right and like middle finger door slam I hate you like all those things I just think that today when we think about mother's day I think about what it means to our parents to forgive them and to know that they've forgiven us a hundred times over from when we were two and a half till we were 25 or 18 or 30. And when I think about today also, I think about the card that we wrote in our hands. And we're going to take communion in a moment. And we, in communion, recognize that Jesus shed his blood and broke his body to forgive us. So we look at our sins and we say, God, Thank you so much that I don't have to carry these sins on me anymore. Thank you so much that I don't have to live with the shame and guilt of these sins because some of them, all of us, have really dark things that we've done. But did you know that your sins and the sins of others are two sides of the same index card or coin, right? That as God forgives us, he's commanding us to, in the same moment, forgive the people who've hurt us as well. That as God shed his blood for us, in the same moment he was shedding his blood for the person who hurt you. And so as we come to the communion table, we bring up our one card because that one card represents his forgiveness to us and them, his love for us and them, his asking, his saying, I forgive you, and I absolve you of all of your debts. And also, would you absolve your brothers and sisters as well of the small offenses and of the huge ones, of the ones that happened today and this week and last month, and of the ones that we carried with us from elementary school. It's one, it's one moment. Father, as we take communion this morning, would you invite us up to the cross of Calvary where you took your, our lashes and our nails and our sin, where you took the sins of the people we hate as well, 
And would we today not only release our sins to you for forgiveness, but release those who have sinned against us. That the way you've taught your disciples to pray is that we would ask, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I think about your last moment on the cross when you said, it is paid in full. Father, would you give us the courage, but also give us the will um, to forgive others this morning, that you would allow us to release them, release them into your hands, release their sins into your hands as we release our sins as well. In Jesus' name. I just invite you to stand and take communion with me this morning. But if you're willing that you would take your card up with you, you could fold it, you could rip it, you could, but I want us to lay it down at the communion table and that we would see receiving our forgiveness is a part of receiving our forgiveness is to forgive those who have sinned against us. I again also want to invite uh, people to uh, the Changs, Whitmores, uh, Dave and uh, Joanne to pray uh, for you. I think that there's a really tender space right now where you're wrestling. Some of us are really wrestling, and maybe you can't put it in front of the communion table, or maybe you, you do, but it's really hard. Um, but you just need prayer. Um, and every Sunday we offer it, and I wish more people would would be willing to because it's really powerful to pray. It's really powerful because it doesn't become this generic message, but your person in your life and God releasing you. And so I just, again, invite you up uh, for prayer. <laughs>